0: This episode of the Nick Pop Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. And if you're thinking about some new windows or doors, let me give you some assistance with where to start. First of all, you got to go with Pella. That's obvious. And with Pella, there are a couple of directions you can go to get things rolling. You can schedule a free in-home consultation where you are going to get a Pella expert to sit down with you and look at your home and go through your wants and your needs. And they're going to put a Greg McDermott, Dana Altman-esque game plan together. That is fantastic. That's one option. Or you can add it to the showroom. The showroom is really cool. They got showrooms in Omaha and in Lincoln. Sometimes it helps to actually see the window, see the door, feel it, open it, close it to get a better feel for exactly what you're going to be putting into your home. So the showroom is also a great place to start. Any direction you go, just know the Pella can 100% provide window and door solutions to any home. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com com That's PellaOmaha.com. And the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by my pals at Runza. Did you know that Runza has an app? They do. You need to go straight to the app store and download it right now because you can order food on the app. You can have it ready to pick up in the restaurant. You can earn points for rewards. In fact, when you download the app, you can get 5 bucks off your first order in the app. It's one of the greatest apps of all time. So go do- download the Runza app. You can get Runza, get rewards, and then get more Runza. All on the app. Runza makes it all better. Okay, we have uh, a a very, very good, uh, special, fantastic, elite podcast on tap for you today. Bruce Rasmussen is my guest, Creighton Athletic Director, who has uh, announced that he is retiring on August 16th. So after nearly three decades, 27 years as Athletic Director at Creighton, he is going to be retiring. And, man, what an incredible career. This is a special, special person, a special, special leader, without question the most influential figure in the history of Creighton Athletics. Um, I mean, he's completely transformed Creighton Athletics in every way, shape, and form. I mean, hiring coaches, getting facilities built, you name it. This guy, he he has made Creighton Omaha's team, you know, and, and that's a – that that's a special thing to be able to to do and I have had the honor to, to, of knowing this man for nearly two decades. He was the athletic director when I played at Creighton. Uh, we had a great relationship then. Then I was a graduate assistant coach for a year for Coach Altman, and, and Rass was the AD. I got to know him better even then. And then just our relationship has continued to grow and grow and grow. He's just an incredible person. He's had an incredible career. And I had the opportunity to sit down with Bruce Rasmussen in his office last week and record a podcast with him was able to sit down with him he was very gracious with his time uh we spent about an hour uh talking about his entire journey and career as athletic director at Creighton picking his brain on on literally everything um and and, and we also talk a little bit about the future of college athletics as well because when you got a guy like that you got to ask the big picture questions as well but this was this was really 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 good this was special so let's get to it here's my podcast chat with soon to be retired Creighton athletic director Bruce Rasmussen, enjoy. All right. Well, it is. Uh, it's it's exciting to be face to face with with the guy that I admire in Bruce Rasmussen. It's unfortunate that the 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 topic du jour is the fact that this man is retiring, but it's it's a, it's an unbelievable legacy. Uh, I'd have to imagine Rass uh, high on the list of of things you're most proud of. Is it the Dana Altman fortune cookies? (laughs) Is it the Dana Altman fortune cookies at one of the booster events? Is it getting Coach Altman to play golf, which now he's an avid golfer? Like, are those
1: number one, one A? Well, they're a distant second and third. (laughs) Number one for me would be the education I got flying back, I think from Evansville, where I sat in front of you and Nate Funk and listened to a two-hour dialogue on do fish sleep. And if they do sleep, how do they sleep When do they sleep? Do they close their eyes? uh that has to be number one the, the,
0: okay so did that get the yeah, manager like these are these is our this is our starting backcourt this is what yes. we're gonna go this is what we're trying to go to the NCAA tournament with but man those that uh for people that don't know Ras and I it was, it's one of the things I'm most proud of the fortune cookie idea yes. was incredible it, it was also awesome. anybody that knows coach Altman he's got these sayings that he repeats over and over bend your knees lower your base nose to the goal swing away whatever and so Ras and I were like what if we put fortune cookies on these tables for these boosters and the looks on some of these boosters' yeah.
1: faces as they're opening them up going, bend your knees. What? They were blue fortune cookies, yes. too. We, But, uh, yeah, we had all of his sayings. The players uh-huh. loved them. Dana hated them. <laughs> and I kept a bunch of them. Did you? And two things with Dana that I kept when he would uh, – well, I'll tell you three different things. But first was, you know, when he would – get to where he was complaining, that was one of – I'd bring out a fortune cookie, and I'd just pull it open, and it'd go, <laughs> simple play, simple play. You know? <laughs> Secondly, I had one of those Arkansas Razorback red yeah, noses. yeah, yeah, I yeah. Wore. And the third one was he always would talk about how soft his team was. Oh, we're poorly coached, and we're <laughs> soft. I'm doing a horrible job. And I'd say, yeah, I can only imagine – what Greg Marshall would do with the same talent?
0: <laughs> oh man, that is just—that's a low blow, You know how to get to him, you know. You know how to get to him, but I just as I was writing down some questions for him, like, oh, of all the things you and I have collaborated to do, some yes, different things. Yeah, the fortune that was, cookies are pretty are, are things I'm pretty proud of. I'm that was lie. that was yes, that was really cool. So I mean, okay, so I, I've I've heard you talk about it a little bit. The the retirement—it's something you've been thinking about. Is it just one of those things? The stars aligned with uh, with getting through COVID, getting through yeah. whether it's the NCAA investigation. It, there's a school year starting here in a couple of weeks it just the time, everything, the stars kind of aligned for now being the time.
1: Yeah, there was not, it, you know, if you remember that old red lobster commercial where they had the unlimited <laughs> shrimp and they drop one on the platter and one on the platter. Finally, one just broke it. There was no big issue, right? but it was just a combination of things as I'm moving my daughter to Phoenix, I've got a son in Montana who got married a couple years ago. I haven't been to Montana since he got married. I've got uh, two kids in Phoenix. I've got one in Colorado. And as as Mava and Mac get older, you know, one thing that I haven't heard from many people is I haven't heard them as they get older my age say, boy, I wish I'd have spent less time with my kids. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and I—I uh, I haven't been a real good dad from the standpoint that I felt like to be successful at Creighton. First, when I was a basketball coach, but second, as an administrator, I had to be all in. Not the sharpest tool in the box, so you just had to grind away. And I felt like I needed to outwork people, right. and to do that, you had to be all in. And uh, there were things that were sacrificed as as a part of that. And it wasn't just, well, I want to see my family more or there's other things I want to do. Uh, it was just a combination of things. Gotcha.
0: Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a time consuming job, you know I mean? So that when I think yeah. about what you're going to do next, is that high on the list of just of, of being, being more of just Bruce Rasmussen, the dad and the husband?
1: Well, I'm not going away. I yeah. told Mac, I said, I'll probably be sitting next to Dick. You at practice. <laughs> And uh, players will have bets on which one of us falls asleep first, and which one of us is old, which one of us is older but i'm just I'm just switching chairs you know yeah. i I love Creighton it's been a love affair for me uh and I love Omaha, I think Omaha is an unbelievable community, and I can't see myself you know sure. going somewhere and playing golf every day, and i've got to be doing something, but there have been a number of. Things that I've wanted to do. I love teaching. I I I taught my first eight years here in exercise science. Um, I think they figured out that I shouldn't be teaching, (laughs) but I did. And I I always love being in the classroom. But I've been involved with a lot of not-for-profits. Josh Mm Dotzler and and Abide are doing amazing things. I was on Project Harmony board. I'm on College World Series board. I've been in the FCA board. You know and. You can't be as involved in those entities in my job as maybe your passion would be. And so I think there are things that... I don't want to make any strong commitments here in the next right. month or two. I want to get a better idea as to what I want to do. But there's also you—you you worry about is there a pride factor where you say, "Well, maybe somebody wants me," may right. Maybe nobody mm-hmm. wants you, <laughs> <laughs> and it, it may be the same way at home. Yeah. Jill may say, "Get the hell out of here." You know? I like the idea of you
0: at home, but now that you're home, so you get back, yeah. Don't...
1: So you know, I just there are a lot of things I've wanted to do, and as the, the donor base that I'm around uh, that is probably most comfortable with me and I'm most comfortable with in my generation. And you see that as they get to be 75 and 80, right. their ability, there are a lot of things they want to do, but their physical ability and their energy to do them are not the same. So, But the biggest factor is this. I think we're in the best spot with Creighton Athletics that we've been in my 41 years here. Uh, I thought we were past COVID. Yeah, and and we may not, not be, quite. but I thought we were. Uh, we have made a pretty successful transition into the Big East. Um, we got through the NCAA investigation. We've moved. Beyond, at least to a certain extent, you know, the unfortunate phrase that Mac used. We have an unbelievable staff. I mean, we've got some great coaches and we've got some great staff, young staff, talented staff, way more talented than me. So, this department can function very well without me. Right. And in some ways, I can maybe help some of our staff more not being the athletic director than I could as athletic director. And I go back to when I quit coaching basketball, we had eight scholarships. I had no full-time assistants. We didn't have a facility to play. And I told the players and my staff, I can help more as the athletic director. And with the year we had 12 scholarships, we had two full-time assistants. I couldn't do that as a coach, okay? We built a facility. And I think that As the athletic director, first of all, somebody once said, you know, the art of leadership is disappointing people at a pace that they can tolerate because you have to say no. Sure. And you have to you can't think about things individually. You have to say, well, if I do this for them, what is the waterfall impact? How are others going to interpret that? And what does it mean? Uh, we only have so much in the pie, but if I do this for this program, do I? What do I have to do for that program? And in some ways, to not be tethered to that, right. uh, may may make it easier for me to do some things that need to be done that help some of our coaches that I couldn't have done as the athletic director. Yeah,
0: that's interesting. I mean, I, you bring up you know some of the pressing issues when you took over as athletic director. We'll go deeper into that because I think it's it's easy to see all this now. It wasn't always like this, yeah. right? I mean, what when you took over, the it, the situation certainly it, it was wasn't the best situation on a variety of levels. What were some of the things? Take me back then. What were some of the things that were really really pressing on your list of things to get done initially?
1: Well, first of all, we had done a study as a university about dropping out of Division One, dropping to Division Two II or Three. Now just Shortly before that, we'd had what I say is one of the best eras of Creighton athletics. Can mm-hmm. okay, you look at the late 90, late 80s, early 90s? Okay? We were ranked number one in men's soccer. Tony Baroni's last couple years where we were in the NCAA tournament. We were in the NCAA tournament in women's basketball. We, were, we had been to the College, College World, World Series. Series in baseball. And yet, at that time, the NCAA requirements were expanding, and there were a number of people that thought – athletics was too expensive for Creighton University. And then we had a three-year period in spite of the fact that historically Creighton basketball has been good. We had a three-year period where in three years we won 27 total games. We had like a 30-game road losing streak. And we had to make a change in coaches. Uh, And so we had to – Rick Johnson, who was a good friend of mine, I had to tell Rick – you're no longer going to be the coach and i had to go out and hire a coach and interestingly at that time we had a selection committee that was 20 people cuz you got to have the, you got to have this yeah, group represented right, this right. group represented i didn't use the selection committee at all i bet you didn't i operated in, independently because you know that in athletics when you have a committee most of the better qualified people aren't going to be interested because if they don't get the job, and the word gets out; it kills them. Okay? Sure. And so, I was basically a one-man selection committee, and my approach to hiring the people I want is: we don't have. Uh, I'm not. You're not one of three. You're my guy, and what does it take to get you? And uh, I'll talk about two and three. At some other point, but you're number one and what I'm not talking to anybody else. And that was my approach with Coach Altman. Right. And, uh, you know, if you think back, I got a lot of criticism at that time from a lot of standpoints. One was, (laughs) first of all, the selection committee met with Dana. An hour before the press conference. That was their entire interaction. Oh, my gosh. And there were a number of people publicly that are going, wait a minute. He's He's on his way out. He's on his way out. Right, yeah. But ironically, a few years earlier, I'd recruited a girl out of Milwaukee that was an outstanding player uh, out of an inner city school in Milwaukee. Her name was Jackie Glosson. She came here, hadn't taken the ACT, took the ACT, didn't do well. They wouldn't let her stay. So I placed her at Moberly, Missouri. And uh, Jackie ends up being first-team All-American her freshman year at Moberly. And National Player of the Year, second year, and she is the, uh, they win the national championship. Not only is she coming to Creighton, but her 6'4 teammate post player is coming to Creighton. And we had pretty good nucleus. We had Connie and Tanya yep. Warren and Pam Gradivel, all who ended up being in the Hall of Fame. A week before signing, the Moberly women's coach, Dick Halderman, gets the Oklahoma State job and takes both of them with him. So I've spent all my time there. But there was pretty good men's coach down there and that was my initial connection with Dane Altman. Right, right. So what I thought initially was a disaster ended up being what saved saved my career. Yeah. Well what did you see with Coach Altman? Because I think you know there, it's
0: never. It takes a village to build something like this, yeah. and, and certainly, you know, you never want to highlight one more than the other. But I mean, Dane Altman's had an enormous impact on what this has been. You guys are interesting because, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, like you guys don't not only had a great working relationship, you guys are basically best friends yeah. too. What what was the what was your relationship like?
1: Well, we first met in Wilbur. And it was clandestine. Uh, Nobody, my wife didn't even know. Right. Uh, But uh, we hit it off right away. And what I saw in Dayton, first of all, I think we donut recruit, and I think we donut hire a lot of time. And by that I mean the donut's got a hole in the middle, and we do all this recruiting. Everybody further away looks better than those that are close. Right. And Creighton missed on a lot of good players. From the area, because we were looking further out, but the same in coaching. So I think that there, when you hire somebody from your geography, if you can, there is a better trust, there's a better understanding of the culture, not only of on campus, but in the community, right. which is critical. But for me, Dana's passion for the game, it, it was obvious he was all in, and his players played hard. Mm-hmm. And you can... We make fun of his sayings and all of this, but players always played hard for Dana because they knew he was all in. Mm -hmm. And sometimes there's a disconnect when you as a coach say, I need this from you. You're here to serve me. And it was obvious Dana was there to serve them. And the other thing was he had a knack, even at Moberly, and he had Mitch Richmond and, and Charlie Bled, so he had some good players, but... Sometimes you walked out of there going, I don't know how they won that game, but they won. And the ability to win those games. But he was a great teacher of the game. He was from the Midwest. He is a great human being. And the best way to have culture... The culture you want is not to bring people in and try to develop culture. The best way to have culture is to hire culture. Mm -hmm. And so you got a Midwest guy that's a hard worker, that cares for his kids, that gets them to play hard, that gets them to maximize their ability. And you're going, like my grandpa used to tell me, I had a profound grasp of the obvious. (laughs) So it, it wasn't a matter of, should Dana hire Creighton, or should Creighton University hire Dana? It's why would Dana come to Creighton University? Right, right. But it was just the timing worked.
0: I, w- I remember, a there was, you know, during Christmas break, or no, this had been during fall break, during two days, we, we'd always go to lunch. We went to Jason's Deli or something yeah. like that. And, and I'm walking out with Coach Altman and, and a couple other guys, and he stops us. And he goes, you see that, fellas? And he points over at, I think it was like a First National Bank. There was a Creighton flag. And he sat there, and he goes, look at that and we're like bank? you know we didn't know what he was talking he's like that flag wasn't always up there fellas yeah and and i something that always stuck with me like this is a guy that i think is like minded in you of like yeah. there's there's a there's a pride in building it and an yeah. appreciation for every little thing yeah. even a flag on a bank yeah. that that I always remember that I, to this day. I always remember that story because I think it speaks to the pride that he had in what he was doing.
1: Yeah, and you never had to worry about how he represented himself or the program or the university or the community. And my thought was when you look at programs that we wanted to be like, okay, when DePaul was outstanding they were chicago's team when marquette with al mcguire was outstanding they were milwaukee's team we weren't omaha's team we had to become omaha's team a great point point. and a lot of times when we weren't winning games early in dana's career and people forget how long it really took us to get the snowball going but people were pleased by the effort right the attitude the, the culture that we had and that caused the snowball to grow right. even in spite of not winning as much as people thought we should be winning.
0: Right. I, you know, you, you talk about culture and hiring it, but culture also starts with the guy at the top and the leader. And I think a lot of it can be just modeling behavior that they want to see. What, was there anything intentional, maybe even subconsciously, that you didn't necessarily think about, like, I'm going to be like this? But was there anything that you reflect on now that you tried to do day-to-day to establish that culture, just from, from you being the guy in charge?
1: Yeah, and it was intentional, but it was because I learned the hard way. When I first started coaching, my first team— that I was the head basketball coach with, the first day I sat down, and you do what coaches do. Okay, this is what I expect out of you. Okay, We're going to play hard. We're going to play as a team. You're going to be willing to play a role. You're going to execute the fundamentals. We're going to be in better shape than anybody. I was so busy telling them what I wanted from them, I didn't listen to what they needed from me. And there was a disconnect. And it was not until I sat down with every player individually and said, why are you out? We weren't very good. <laughs> why were you out? Why are you out? They love the game. What do you want to accomplish individually and as a group? And it was just they didn't have enough background. And what can I do to help? And instead of them serving me, I started serving them. What do you need from me? Right. How can I help? And I think at a Creighton, we have to have that kind of mentality because we're, even though we've moved up the food chain, we're not going to get the best athletes or the best depth of athletes. And so we have to be into teaching, we have to be into development, we have to be into passion for the game we have to be into practice is a minimum job description i got to find out and practice what i need to do and then i'm going to go work on it either on my own or with another coach and you know you look at these guys on the wall yep. none of them were five-star recruits nope. but all of them were passionate about what I'm, as a coach what i said to my players every day was okay what are you going to do individually and what are we going to do as a group to be better today than we were yesterday? Not necessarily to, be, to beat Nebraska or right. to beat whatever, right. but what are we doing today to be better than we were yesterday, individually and as a group? Kids will buy into that if they see the same thing out of you. But if they see you asking that out of them and they don't see you getting better every day, then there's going to be a disconnect. Right. And I saw that in Dana. Yeah, You know, he said, fellas, what are we going to do to be better today? And I'm going to drive you, but I'm also going to be better today than I was yesterday. And he would come in to a practice and say... I made a mistake in the game last night, or I made a mistake yesterday.
0: Yeah, he beat himself up. Over yeah, two, yeah,
1: and so it was for me, it was intentional. I became a better leader when I was better at serving.
0: The Dick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors, and I want to talk to you guys about energy efficiency. And if you go onto Pella's website right now, you look at it, and how about this? One, two, three, four, five different types of windows or doors. for window and doors to perform at their best. And you know the Pella experts are excellent at that. Bottom line, energy efficiency matters in making your home more comfortable. And Pella windows and doors are at the top of the line when it comes to energy efficiency. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. But you know what's interesting, uh, Raz, listening to you, It's because I I was gonna, because an athletic director is an interesting job because there's kind of a blank canvas. There's no right way to do it, but I guess there is a wrong way to do it. But it sounds, because I was curious on how you learned to be an athletic director, but it sounds like you keep your background as a
1: coach. Do you think it really, really helped you as an athletic director? Yeah, and my background is a player because yeah. I know when you look at me, you're going, God, he had to be a multi-sport athlete <laughs> and a stud, <laughs> stud, right? Total stud. But uh, I was a role player, yeah, and uh, and yet I felt like I, I was important to the team. Mm-hmm. And in my years of coaching, and I didn't do a good job of this early in my career, but as you grow, you you see that – Our teams at Creighton, I've been at Creighton 41 years. Our teams at Creighton that I think did the best job of narrowing the gap between potential and performance, and obviously your potential is greater, you have to have talent, but the the teams that did the best job of narrowing the gap it wasn't necessarily those guys in the spotlight that had a lot to do with that. It was the guys that came into practice every single day mm-hmm. for the love of the game, the opportunity to be a part of a team, no and the opportunity to, to, to work, to be better, and I'm willing to play a role. It isn't the name on the back. It's the name on the front. And that's a Dana Altman. That's a Greg McDermott. Yes. Uh, and, but because I was a role player... And I wanted to say, well, I'm bringing value to the team, even though I'm not getting on the floor. <laughs> I think that— I Helped think, you see it, though. Yeah, and I've always, I, I've, always—you've heard me say this before, but my grandpa, when I grew up, my grandpa lived next to me, next door to us, and he was blind, and he'd give us this poem about the six men— of in to learning much inclined went to see the elephant though each of them were blind all six guys grabbed a different part of the elephant and they drew conclusions based on their level of information first guy grabs the tail and thinks it's like a rope logical conclusion next guy grabs the ear thinks it's like a fan go through the process at the end it says though each were partly in the right All were in the wrong because they didn't see the entire elephant. And how many times as a coach did I make a mistake because I looked at it from my perspective, not from the player's perspective. Right, And so trying to see the entire elephant. And when I became athletic director, a lot of athletic directors were former coaches that were – Pass their time. Sure, you know that's sure. how you become. How yeah, do you become you. an athletic director. Well, you get out of coaching. You can't, you can't coach anymore. Yeah, Let's yeah, make yeah, you yeah. an idea. Right. Yeah. But the the position is advanced so much, especially as it's become more complicated. But it's become more monetized. You run it more like a business. But as we run it more like a business, we get more people. With a business background or a law background or a marketing background that may not have coached and may not have played so what their logical conclusion based on their level of information while it's partly in the right isn't right because they don't see it from a player's perspective or from a coach's perspective and i was when i came here our first few years we were everybody's homecoming. <laughs> you know, I think our first year we won eight or nine games. Right. So it wasn't like, well, I've always been successful as a coach. It wasn't like I was always successful as, as a player. So you look at the process. Yep. What do you do with what you have? And from different perspectives. And so I think that as an athletic director, the, the shortcomings that I had in some areas were – mitigated to a certain extent by the fact that i had the perspective of a player not as a star player but as a part of a team and as a coach not as a all-time winning coach but as a coach got his butt beat a lot right and so you have those perspectives you bring to it and i i do think it, it there are some advantages there and you talk about in my career as athletic director, what has been most enjoyable for me is the relationship with 18 to 21 year olds. Yeah. You know,
0: you, uh, I listened to you the other day and you got choked up talking about the the student athletes. I, yeah. I kind of want to tap into that a little bit, you know, because what, what, what got you choked up? I mean, because I think one of the things that makes you unique, I, I had the opportunity to be at Kansas for two years and Listen, size of institution, yeah, I suppose, yeah. makes a difference a little bit. Yeah. But, but, Ras, I don't, I don't recall really having any sort of conversation ever with Lou Perkins or, yeah. you know, and, but I get here and you are unbelievably close with all the student athletes. I mean, the reaction on social media from people, everybody, all the players have this, have this relationship with you. And that's, that's all you. But I'm curious what, what got you choked up thinking about some of the student
1: athletes? Well, it's a great question. But first of all, as we grow and as we've grown, it becomes more difficult. Mm-hmm. You know. But the highlight of my day every day was to go down for ten minutes and yes. watch practice. Right. Go around and talk to guys, or on the road. Yeah. Sit next to them on the plane, <laughs> yeah. or whatever. So you, when you you know, I guess. Basketball coaches are more simple-minded than football coaches because we're only dealing with five at a time, right. not 11 or, you know. eighty-five. But yeah. I always said life is sort of like a basketball game where early in your game or in your coaching career, you're into, and in your life, you're into advancement and acquisition. And there's nothing wrong with that. You're trying to advance in your profession. You're trying to advance in your position on the team. In your acquisition, you're trying to get a family. You're trying to get uh, a you know a car uh, possessions is so nothing wrong with that but at halftime of a basketball game you stop and you say okay what did we do well the first half okay what do we need to continue and what changes do we need to make and then at the end and and it, as you get more towards the end of your career you your thought is more. How do I want to be remembered? What kind of a legacy do I want to leave? What's most important? And the reality is, and again, I I said this the other day. I don't want to get too spiritual, but uh, if if you look in the Bible, the the mo- two most important commandments is relationships. Okay, the first commandment love the lord your god with all your heart with all your mind with all your soul okay what does that mean you want to have a good relationship with whoever it is uh, you're spiritually your god second is very much like it to love your neighbor as yourself and what does that mean what does it mean to love your neighbor and it's to me it's a reflection of putting yourself in their position and saying i empathize with you not Hey, I support you. I'm behind you. You know, I have people tell me, hey, I'm behind you. They're so far behind you, you never see them, right? (laughs) Or, Or, yeah, you know, boy, I feel bad. I feel bad that you went through this. Okay? That's support. Right. Okay? There's a difference between support and commitment. Commitment's getting in the hole with them. Yeah. And I've always felt that that's most important. And so for, to me... The ability to, with eighteen to twenty-one year olds, to learn from them, to listen to them, to have a relationship with them, that is so important to me. And that's what you're going to yeah, give up? Absolutely. Yeah. Is there anybody?
0: Is there anybody that comes to mind that you, you felt like you had a special connection with? I mean, I know you don't want to single anybody out, but I mean, it's always so cool with these. You know, everybody talks about. Everybody says they have a family. You know, this is a family. This yeah. is a family. Whenever yes. one of the, I love when the former guys come back, whether it's a Dan Colder, a yeah. uh, you know a Matt West, a Mike Lindeman, a Kyle Corver, you know the, the the your connection with them is is something that that is so fun for me to watch because I feel yeah. that same connection with you. I'm yeah. like, you
1: love this guy too. I love this yeah. guy. You know, well, part of it is a Ryan Sears or a Kyle Corver could have gone through air independent study. We learn more from them than they learn from us. They were that way when they came yeah. in. What I found at Creighton that was most interesting to me when I went out and spoke at alumni functions and Creighton you know, gatherings, the people that had the strongest connection to Creighton emotionally and long-term were those that were in trouble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were high-maintenance. They were high-risk. And Creighton, somebody, a professor— uh, I should have been kicked out of the dorms. Mother right. heart saved my butt. Doc Bevelacqua. Right. right, we're not those that were low maintenance, but those that were higher maintenance. And you've got two kids. I got five. You know, they're not. They didn't all mature at the same rate. They didn't all make the same number of mistakes. Mm-hmm. You got some that are more energy than others, but they are your family. And so to be able to have coaches and staff that treat all the players or attempt to treat all the players the same way, not that – I always told my players, I'm, I'm going to try to treat you all the same, but I, I'm not going to mm-hmm. because you're going to make deposits and withdrawals every day. And if you got all kinds in the bank, I'm going to treat you differently than when you're making withdrawals every analogy. day, right? I I always love it, yeah. So yeah. – but and you're the same with your kids, but yeah. you don't bail on them. They're no. your family, right. and that's the way that I – when I look at people that work for us, that was the predominant factor is how do they treat people in right. the process. And I don't know if I've met a coach that's better at that than Coach McDermott. Mm-hmm. He's unbelievable at getting players to believe that they're better than they are. He's right. it. And you talk about whether they're, they make mistakes on the court or off the court. There are times at a game where you go, boy, if I – Brought this guy over at halftime. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and Mac is so good at that. Right. And you see the value of that. So you learn from people like him every day right. when you watch. Right. But to me, the, what I'm going to miss the most is that it's a special relationship it is. with kids. Right. And uh, we hear so much that this new generation is different, and they are. But they're different in some ways, in a better way. Mm-hmm. They're more worldly. They're more out focused. And when, when you really get down to it, uh, you know we all have a lot of the same feelings and anxieties and concerns my body's just a lot more wrinkled than theirs. <laughs> yeah. you know? yeah. So yeah. I'm going to miss that. Yeah. It was yeah. the highlight of every day. Try to go over and watch five minutes of volleyball or five yeah. minutes of women's basketball. Right, Pull right. a couple kids aside.
0: That's what's so cool. I mean, your secret sauce of what you've been able to accomplish is actually pretty simple. Like it's just waking up every day and being relationship driven. Yeah. And that's all, like I saw it firsthand being a GA for a year. I saw it as a player, how you would treat the team. And then even, you know, you getting to the games two hours before and you're walking around, yeah. you're shaking hands to yeah. the guy getting on dollar beer night. Yeah. You're talking to him <laughs> to, to talking to, yeah. you know, to to the big booster. I mean, it's just it's just so cool to see that get rewarded to me.
1: Well, and the reality is, first of all, as an athletic director, I don't know of a job more dependent upon others than an athletic director. Okay? You better have a supportive president and board. You better have the right coaches, mm-hmm. and they better recruit the right players. But in order for all of that to happen, you have to have donors who are willing to go beyond their jobs and families and make a commitment. And you want not just those that are in the spotlight – But you want those that are that everyone is important, and I've said this, and I I, you I think you're finding this out. I mean, I don't care whether it's a family or a business or a team or a community. It's the faithfulness, loyalty, and dedication of those that aren't in the spotlight that have a lot to do with the success of a family. Mm -hmm. I mean your wife better be bought in Jill has done so much that allows me to do what I can here and she doesn't get enough recognition Mm -hmm. so you see that in your family you see that on a team you see that God, you get some kids that think they're God's gift to the school and basketball and they go in and they see a Brett Agner they see a Matt West they see somebody just busting their tail for the love of the game Mm -hmm. it's hard to continue to have that, that attitude so uh, that's that's been a, a a big part of it for me is to, to go around. I could go to a game, and I could get a lot of value out of sitting with three board members or a donor that's going to give us a seven figure don donation. But to take that opportunity to be able to go around the arena and say, "Hey, it's good to see you here. Thanks for your support. You've been thirty year Jaybacker. It means a lot to us." Yes. Uh, because without that, we don't get it done. Right. Yeah, and I mean, again, a lot
0: of, there's a lot of people that may say that, but you actually go yeah. out there and touch people. That makes yeah. that makes a difference. What you know, I'm, I'm thinking about the different checkpoints that change the trajectory of Creighton. I gotta I have to imagine one of the things was the move into the Quest Center, which is now the CHI Health Center. Take me back to that time. What went <laughs> into that? Was it was it a little bit of a gamble to to go there? Was it a no
1: brainer? What was that like? Well. Some of the board members were saying it was a no-brainer. <laughs> and They were against it. Yeah. <laughs> They're saying, what are you thinking? Yeah. Uh, because, you know, the CHI, well, it was CenturyLink at that time, but, you know, can we afford to move in there? You know, we don't have that many fans. Uh, we were ending the Kyle Corver era, so yep. we were drawn well at the Civic. But remember, we were the number two tenant. UNO was selling out the the uh, uh, civic yeah. with hockey it was the hot ticket we were we were the, the second, second child yeah. and when i went to the board and suggested and i had to go back to the board 3 times wow. to get the board to approve it and interestingly the only way we did it was we got jbacker payments twice in the same fiscal year in the old days we would because almost all of our backers were backers because of men's basketball, okay? So jaybacker payments were due in September and October. You had to have it done by the 1st of November, but we were collecting at that time. And the board was not willing to finance or take the uh, risk of moving into CHI. And I proposed that we move jaybacker payments up to April, May, June, and July so that in one year, you could do this once. In one year, you could get two years of J-backers. Wow. It was $600,000. Uh-huh. Okay, that's what our J-backers were at that time. Now it's over $5 million, but it was 600000 And they said, okay, because we said this is what our expenses are going to be. And the, so you got three years. And if it doesn't work after three years, we had an out to move back to the Civic. What? I didn't know yeah, that. I've never heard that. But I had to go to the board on three different occasions to get them to buy into it, and they bought into it reluctantly. Right. Did Dana want to do it? Dana wanted to do yeah, it. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. How do you say you want to be a top 20 program and you drive by the best facility in Omaha? That's true.
0: We playing there? No, no, no we're playing We over would there.
1: not have kept Dana had yeah. we not moved.
0: Right, okay. right. I mean, I remember, I remember coming on my visit. And I, I, it's funny. I got recruited to both places. You know, like I remember coming on a visit. Yeah. I went to the Civic. It was great. I mean, the atmosphere there was was yeah. really good when yeah. it was rolling. And then I remember coming when I was transferring, and Coach Altman takes me to the to to the it was a Quest Center at the time. I was just yeah. like, oh, wow, you guys play here. This is incredible. Yeah. And but did it did it change? Did it was that one of the seminal moments in the kind of the the upward trajectory of Creighton was
1: the move to that arena or? Well, the move to the arena was critical yeah. because we it made it much easier. First of all, our job is to recruit, retain, and develop outstanding student athletes. Well, and to do that, you better be able to recruit and retain yeah. and develop outstanding coaches, right? Right. And if you're playing interesting in the That's- Civic and not at that facility – you're not going to retain your coaches. If you can't retain your coaches, how can you recruit and retain and develop student-athletes? But secondly, for the student-athletes to say, we're playing here, which looked like an NBA arena mm-hmm. compared to the Civic, uh, it allowed us to still keep the culture that we wanted, but to recruit a, a better caliber of athlete. Yeah.
0: That's, I didn't think about you know the... It's funny, you're talking about perspectives. I didn't think about this from, you know, certainly from Coach Altman's perspective. It it changes how he probably views Creighton and the job moving forward. Hey, we're yeah. going to have a 16, 17, 18,000-seat yeah. arena. What are, and you talk about recruiting, retaining coaches. I want you to expand on Greg McDermott here a little bit because it's, it's no secret and enough time has passed. He's been pursued by other jobs. Yeah. Ohio State really pursued him hard. He ultimately has stayed here. And I'd have to say a big part of that I remember he, talking about. It, he said, "I, you know, I, I, I don't, I'm don't mess with happy, you know." Yeah. And yeah. I think a big part of the reason he was happy is because of you. You talk about being a one man search committee too for for a guy like Greg McDermott. What what is what is your relationship be, been like with him?
1: Well. I had an opportunity, first of all, people said, and we got some criticism, and I understand it, based on their level of information, they said, geez, you had two-day search, I mean, w- weren't there others out there, and Coach McDermott was a 19-year interview process. I went to Northern Iowa. He played at Northern Iowa. I followed his college career. I followed his coaching career. When he was at Wayne State and I'm recruiting Nebraska, all the people in that area talked about the relationship that he had with the community and with the players. The players were in his office. They were in the gym on their own. You don't do that if you don't like the process. And I watched him at Northern Iowa, and people said, well, he was deliberate. Well, they didn't have as much talent. When they had talent, they played faster. He changed what he did based on the talent he had, and you said you said earlier there are a lot of ways to go about it. There are coaches that say, "Here's what we're going to do," right. and you adjust. Yeah, Jim Beheim at Syracuse been very successful doing that. You know, uh, Shaka Smart's been very. There's a style of play where Mac was more. I'll take what talent I have and I'll adjust what I do based on my talent, which was important to me. But uh but with Mac, um what what I really liked was the relationship he had. But I getting back to I when I was on the men's basketball committee, because I had been a coach, I went to a lot of closed practices. I went to a lot of uh open practice, closed practice, sat next to the coaches on the bench during games. I had a great seat yes. being on the committee. And for Creighton University, I think the best coach in the country for what we need is Greg McDermott. Uh, and my job as an athletic director is say, Coach, what do you need to be successful? And then you have to filter, but you try to get them what they need to have to be successful. And Coach... Altman and Coach McDermott are different. They coach differently, but in some ways they're alike, and they have a had an outstanding relationship with the players. I mean, you see Coach Altman today; his former players still have relationships with him. Same with Mac, but I would tell you that Mac, for what we need today, he loves to be in the community, and. I can. I have a better connection with my generation. Mac has done a tremendous job, along with Adrian Dowell and Mark Burgers, of this next generation. People that didn't have a tie to Creighton. We have become Omaha's team. It isn't because of me. It's because of people like right, Mac right. who are out in the community. So good. They, you, he yes. is so good with it, and he's so good with the players, and he was ahead of time. In terms of the way to play, right? Shooting the three points. Let's playing let it fast. fly. Right. Playing fast. And a lot of people say that, but then when it gets down to it, they right. don't play that way. Right. Right. Mac and he stayed with players, and he got players to believe they were better shooters right. than. You know, I remember Anthony Tolliver wanting to shoot the three, and he came into coach's office and said, "I'm a good three-point shooter," and coach says, "Yes, you are. You have no problem shooting it. You're just not a good three-point maker." <laughs> you know, but I, coincidentally, now and ironically, Adrian uh, Anthony Tolliver is one of the better three-point shooters by percentage in the NBA. Yep, but he wasn't at that
0: time. Right, right. But
1: but Mac gets guys to believe, and they perform better because they believe. Right, and he's really good.
0: The Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by my good friends at Runza. Everybody that knows my athletic background, you know, as a quarterback in high school but you know i believe in establishing the run game and even more than that i believe in establishing the runza game that's an original runza cheeseburger some onion rings double dipped in a homemade batter a little bit of a pop to top it off you know in football you establish a run but at lunch you establish the runza it's just that simple so get out to runza today and establish the runza game or check out the delicious salads. You got the chicken bacon ranch salad, sweet berry chicken salad, and my personal favorite, the southwest chicken salad. You got to get out to Runza, establish a Runza game, or get a salad. Either way, you are going to leave satisfied. Runza makes it all better. Do you ever th- so the move to the Big East. Take me a little bit behind the scenes because it had to feel like almost a culmination of all the work you put in to be able to say, look at what Look at this! This is, we would provide great value to the Big East with the arena, the the ticket sales, the attendance, the performance. Like in some ways, that move would have been almost tw- thirty years in the making.
1: To put Creighton in position to make that. Change. Yeah, we don't make that move without Dana. We don't make that move without Doug McDermott. We don't make that move without Coach McDermott. We don't make that move without a lot of donors and a lot of people coming into our building. Yep. We were an outlier, we were an anomaly. And it wasn't just Dana or Mac or Doug. Or me, it was the fact that we had that kind of following that was passionate, and that's the Big East brand. You know, we're passionate, intensely focused on men's basketball, and yet there was there was a lot more exposure for us as a basketball program than for us as a university. Right, because for us as a university, you know, you see the demographics of high school graduates, the number of graduates going down. And everybody's strategic plan is we got to increase undergraduate enrollment. Right. How do you do that? And for a Catholic family in western Nebraska, Creighton's expensive. Okay, For a Catholic family in New York or Boston or Philly, we're a bargain compared <laughs> to what they have in the East Coast. So it gave us a new demographic Interesting. to recruit, but also— you're only as good as your product and if our product is getting jobs and meaningful jobs uh, it helps you recruit students okay and we're we're a lot more well known in New York and Boston and DC and Philly and so forth than we were before and it helps our Product, our right. graduates get jobs. Same in the recruiting process. Right. You know, if we don't have the Corvers and the Sears and the Tollivers and the Kyrie Thomases and the Justin, if, if we don't have our product doing well, we can we can be a good salesman. Right. But we're not going to we're not going to be able to recruit that right. well. Right. And so our product has had a lot to do uh, with uh, our success, but. We I was scared to death about the move to the Big East because I made a few phone calls when we were a candidate and there were there were the Big East had to make a decision. They had the Catholic seven and then they were gonna go to eight, ten, or twelve. Okay? If they went to eight, we were out. When they went to ten, there were two that were obvious. Xavier and Butler were going. So there's one spot and mm. there were all kinds of schools sure. that wanted. St. Louis, Dayton, Dayton, a number of schools that wanted it. And But when it became obvious that it was going to be us, I called the old A.D. at Marquette, the current A.D. at DePaul, who was the A.D. when they met, went into the Big East, and uh, Jack Swarbuck, who was the A.D. at Notre Dame. But he had not been the A.D. when they moved into the Big East. He'd been an attorney in Indianapolis, but he was well-tied to Notre Dame. And I asked him, okay... How did you make the adjustment? Now, this is Notre Dame. This is what scared the crap out of me. Jack Swarbuck said, go back and look. Because they were in, I don't know it was the Horizon or the Midwest Conference, Collegiate Conference or something. I i hadn't realized that the, in because they were an independent in football, right. but in basketball yeah, they were of, in yeah, a yeah. mid-major conference. And he said, the first three years we were in the Big East, we finished in the bottom three in the league. And I'm going, no, 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 not Notre Dame. I went back and looked. And he said, here's. it took us a long time to make the adjustment. Why? He said, well, first of all – you're not, you got to recruit to the Big East. You're not going to recruit seniors to come. You got to work with freshmen and sophomores. And so it, there's a process. Yeah. Secondly, you're not going to win in the Big East with freshmen. Right. So not only do you have to recruit a depth of talent and a better caliber of talent, but they better also be mature. And so he says, for us, it was really a four or five year process. Okay. I'm going, Oh God, will our fans put up with that? Yeah, right. You know, were we gonna be in the bottom of the league? Right. So I talked to the Marquette A D and he said we were able to make the adjustment for one reason. Dwayne Wade. (laughs) Right? Said Dwayne Wade. Yeah. He helped us make the transition. Sure, sure. that's not bad. And the DePaul AD said, We never have been able to take advantage of it. Yeah. They they finished towards the bottom. They have and to so have it. So you're going, Do we want to be in a DePaul? Can we be a Marquette? Can we get that person? And we had a Doug McDermott. Doug help. Or are we going to be a Notre Dame? Right. And the reality is, in all the years in the Big East, except for one year, that year right after, right. That second home, year. Yeah. Yep. We've finished in the top four in the Big East.
0: It's incredible, Every year. isn't it? It's, it's, it's amazing. It's really incredible. Yeah. The, the transition has been certainly having yeah. Doug Creighton's Dwayne Wade, if you will, yes. helps in, the, in yeah. the first year. But the transition's been incredible. It's interesting. I want to pick your brain real quick on as we're talking about changing conferences. We have a lot of that going on. Yeah. I, want to, I want to pick your brain a little bit on the, the changing landscape with college athletics. Texas and Oklahoma going to the SEC, focusing on Creighton. Uh, you, you, I've heard you say it. Uh, you said it to me before we started. Like, you better not think of this as just a football thing. Right. It doesn't and it concern us. It concerns Creighton. How how does Creighton make sure that when all this dust settles and the dominoes fall that Creighton's in a good spot?
1: That's what keeps me up at night right yeah. now, to be real honest. And I don't think anybody can honestly tell you what they think is going to happen 10 years from now. What you hope happens, whether we professionalize division one athletics we more monetize it as we get more things to student athletes what you hope is you don't you lose that energy that culture of 18 to 21 year olds that are growing and developing not only in their sport but as people that can be better leaders in their families businesses and communities so you hope you don't lose that but i said this 15 years ago or so and it was i was wrong and it's one of a a number of things I was wrong about, (laughs) but I said with all this realignment, it's all because of football. Let's take football out of the equation. Let's take football out of conferences. Let's have four 16-team regions, 64 teams. You have a southeast, you have a northeast, you have a midwest, you have a west. Each have two divisions, so you got two eight-team divisions. So you get that. Rivalry yeah, yeah. and comfort level of going to the same places every year. Let's take football out of the equation. Okay. And you can have a eight team playoff, a 12 team, whatever, but let's have four 16 team divisions because realignment's happening because of football. So let's take that out and let's go back to having conference alignments based on like missions, like commitment, like geography. Right. And so if we took football out of the equation and had those 4 16 team regions. And now we have basketball based on like commitment, like mission, like geography. Imagine a conference, Kansas, Kansas State, Creighton, Nebraska, Nebraska. Iowa, yeah. Iowa State. Ooh. Amazing. You know, Marquette, yeah. Wisconsin. Fans would love it. It'd and, be, it. And what we talk about student athlete welfare Okay, so you're less missed class time. It's easier for your families to get to game. And we talk about the critical importance of fans. Fans are more bought in when they're able to not just make home games, but when they can also go on the road. Totally. So to say, okay, every school, like we have a basketball league, and every school – has to hold a thousand seats for the visiting team, mm-hmm. and think about the ties and the emotional ties that your yeah, fans like have. It. Yeah, and and the same in football. Sure. Why is Nebraska going to Rutgers and Maryland? Where yeah. if they went to Iowa, Minnesota, Kansas, Kansas State, Missouri, and they had to hold X number of seats, like they did in the old Big Eight? Yep emotional attachment that your donors and your fans would have is greater. Right. So if if I could if I could be the In commissioner, yeah. I would take football out of the equation and and not only that, but we talked about this earlier, but people are making decisions. It used to be that conference superseded individuals, and now you're seeing Oklahoma and Texas move cuz it's better financially. So what's going to prevent Alabama from saying why is vanderbilt getting the same tv revenue we are and i think there's a way to do that the big east has done that with performance incentives but i could see with a 64 team football four regions two divisions in each that you everybody receives a base pay and then you get more money based on followers yep and right. that's easy to monetize sure okay and now take that out, and now your other sports, whether it's volleyball or baseball or women's basketball, is more regional and more like, based on like I commitments. Like that. I think that's what I would like to see. Yeah. I don't know if we can do that. I don't know. Uh, but, you know, I think there's a value in conference play uh, for a lot of reasons, but uh, I also think that there is a value in the geography with like commitments. So, you know, to have uh, volleyball where Creighton and Nebraska are in the same conference, but we're in with Kansas. Kansas, City. Nebraska would send a thousand oh, people every yes. to every road game. Yep, they're not going to Maryland. They're not going to Rutgers. They're not going to Purdue. Yep. But if you were more regionalized with all your other sports, financially it's better. It keeps those sports alive, uh, and but. That's not an answer to your original question. Your original no, but that's question fascinating. Yeah, is what does Creighton and the Big East have to do to make sure we're at the table? And I think we have to look at it and say, okay, first of all, it's a good basketball conference. What can we do to be better and be at the table with the football schools? And so I think we have to look at Expansion. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying we have to expand, but I think we have to, to look think at about it. it. Be and on the think about teams that would bring, bring value to the basketball table where they couldn't leave us out. Right. Gonzaga, a Kansas, mm-hmm. you know, and start thinking in those lines of schools that may be out of the football alignment— uh, as it presently occurs, and right. they may have to park their football program in a secondary league, well, if basketball is critical, why not see if we can have a conference for basketball and park our football program somewhere other than the the opposite? Right. So I yeah. think we have to have those talks. Right. Yeah, and there's, just, there's a fine line between
0: overreacting and taking teams just to take them. But also you got to be careful about sitting on the sidelines too much here as, as these, these things start to change. Um, I know we're a little strapped for time here, but I wanted to ask you quick about uh, you're, you're as maybe more so than anybody. You're, you're my, one of my favorite people to talk basketball with. You have a true love for the game of basketball. And I have to imagine that when all the dust settles, being the the chair, the NCAA tournament selection committee has to be one of the bigger thrills of your career What, what, When you reflect on that now, what stands out?
1: Well, it wasn't the fact that I was chair. It was the fact that when you become athletic director, there's a reason why so many people talk and they say, I didn't realize it at the time, but some of the best years of my life were when i was on this team yeah okay when i was at creighton basketball or kansas basketball or when i was creighton baseball or whatever that team setting and when you're an athletic director you've got so many families you've got i got almost 80 full-time staff we got over 300 student athletes we've got uh faculty i've got we've got 300 corporate sponsors we've got 15,000 season ticket holders, and you're spread out so much, you lose that team feeling yeah. where you've got 10 people yeah. intensely focused on doing, getting it right. I didn't think and about that. And you're not going to get it right. But, and it wasn't just in the meetings. It was at breakfast. It was at dinner. It's that team family cool. feeling you yeah. have again. Right. And I'd love to do that with my basketball background, just focus on traveling with men's basketball. But right. I'm not doing my job if I do sure that. so sure. you get compromised. But on those years on the committee, and these are talented people. I mean, Kevin White at Duke, Jimmy Phillips at Northwestern, Joe Castiglione, Oklahoma, Mark Hollis, Bernard Muir. These are at the, the best of the best yes. in the business. And to be able to sit down and have a Family, I love that relationship, I love that answer. Was the yeah. highlight. Not I love being, that not answer. Not being the chair.
0: Wow, that's I, Of all the things that you can go with, that's I didn't, I wasn't sure that that was it, but that's great. Okay. Uh, well, Ras, I mean, listen, man, I don't want to start crying here, but I, I always tell people nobody's benefited from being a Creighton basketball player more than me. If if you really stop and think about my life and what I've built in my little career here. Yeah. It It is all the doors and opportunities that have opened for me are all because I was a Creighton basketball player and a big part of being a Creighton basketball player, you know, you find out as you get older, a big part of life is who's in your corner yeah. and the fact that you have been in my corner for going on, golly, we've known each other for, we're, we're getting close to two decades now, <laughs> yeah. since 2004, 2005 in that area, uh, I can't. I can't. You've always made me feel important. You've always made me feel special. Every at every stop in my life, and one of the best, the biggest thrills for me, Ras, was the the fact that you you asked me to be a part of the Hall of Fame ceremonies yeah. for for Dane Altman, Kyle Corver, Doug McDermott, Anthony yeah. Tolliver. Yeah. Just those little things. I don't. I don't know if you realize how much that makes me feel like I'm a part of that team that you're talking about. Yeah. So I, I can't tell you. All all I can speak for is myself, but I know I'm speaking for so many other people from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for everything you've done for me.
1: Well, I appreciate that. And you got to understand what you've meant to me, what that relationship has meant to me, because you are uniquely talented. Uh, And uh, to have you be able to do what's your passion and what really, I think when I think about basketball and I watch a basketball game, there are people that drive me nuts when I listen to them because I want you to not only tell me what's happening, but explain more why it's happening. And you have a real unique ability to see the game and not only to see the game, but to be able your ability to communicate it with enthusiasm to others. I think, uh, I mean, I, I fully, first of all, you've advanced in your career uh, tremendously, but you're not where you're going to be five or 10 years from now. You're, you really have a unique ability. So for me, I learned from you. I learned to see, look at the game, the way you look at it, but to have that enthusiasm, to have that perspective, but to watch you and see you grow and develop means a lot to yeah. me. Yeah. Well,
0: Rest, I love you, pal. This has been, uh, quite the journey. And what's cool about it is you're not going to go, you're, you're going to be around, you yes. know, I can't wait to continue to talk to you yes. before games, after games on the road, pick your brain on different teams, uh, congratulations on everything I, I know you're you're the biggest non-me person in the world you know like you don't which why you're probably good as an athletic director. You don't necessarily want all the credit, but, man, you deserve all the all the praise you've gotten
1: and uh, you continue to get. Well, I appreciate that. It's been a labor of love, and I certainly have gotten more out of it than I've given. So I'm still going to be around. Yeah. Just going to be in a different chair. And In that <laughs> different chair, we can be a little bit more critical, That's a little right. bit more vocal, That's right. right? That's right. We like a start... normal fan. <laughs> what well, was Coach McDermott thinking? Yes. We, 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 we can start having those kinds of
0: conversations. I love it. Ras, thank you. Thank you, Nick. Appreciate